Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. AstronomyCast, episode 416, Fireballs from Space. Welcome to AstronomyCast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? I'm doing great. Uh, so I just got back from New Mexico. I got a chance to speak at the Bandelier National Monument, oh, which is uh, just outside stunning. of Santa Fe. It was unbelievable. It was so awesome. A big thanks to the folks at uh, Bandelier for having me. Uh, unfortunately, we had terrible weather. It was there was a lightning storm, and the uh, and the Rangers had these like portable lightning um, detectors, and they were like, "Oh, that one's six miles away. Oh, that one's three miles away." Okay, everybody we got to move inside and they had these beautiful telescopes set up and they got rained on and oh. so it, we, we couldn't have had worse weather but i had a wonderful time visiting and we had a sort of a cool show i gave a cool show for a small group of people anyway and uh it was it was a lot of fun so so let's get on with the show Hi, everyone. Fraser here. Once again, we just want to thank Casper Mattresses for sponsoring AstronomyCast. They've been sponsoring us for more than a year now, and we really appreciate their support. I use Casper Mattresses. i got two of them uh, here in the house, and uh, and I've gone through the whole cycle. I've gone through hot summer, I've gone through cold winter, and I still enjoy uh, using the Casper Mattress all year long. They're a great mattress at a very reasonable price, uh, and this cool kind of two sorts of the, the latex foam and the memory foam makes it a very comfortable mattress. You can get a risk-free trial and return. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress for 100 days, free delivery, and a painless return. The mattresses are made in, in the U.S., which uh, is great, but they even deliver in Canada as well. So you can get a twin-size mattress for $500, $950 for a king-size mattress, and there is a way that you can get an even better deal, and that is if you go to casper.com astro and use the promo code ASTRO, you can get $50 off your mattress purchase. So once again, just go to casper.com astro, use the promo code ASTRO, and you will be able to get a comfortable night's sleep, support Astronomy Cast, and uh, and support people making these really cool mattresses. So, thanks. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.8thlight.com. 
just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light, software is their craft. Astronomy Cast is proudly sponsored by cleancoders.com. Training videos with personality for software professionals. Every now and then we look up and see bright, fiery balls falling from the sky. Don't panic. These are just fireballs. Sometimes they leave trails, sometimes they explode, and sometimes they survive all the way to the ground. Pamela, have you ever seen a fireball? I totally have. Back in, it was 1998, November, there was this amazing meteor shower. And that year, for whatever reason, there were way more fireballs and bolids than normal. And there was a whole group of us from the University of Texas, Austin. We went out to Bee Caves Observatory, and we were lined up like sardines in a can, trying to keep warm as we lay on the concrete. And the, the... meteorites as they streaked across the sky were getting several times brighter than Venus and casting shadows in some cases and and a fair number of them just actually exploded at the uh, end of their passage uh, yeah I've I've seen only one and it was uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably about four years ago when I was out uh, with with the kids and we were out stargazing, and we saw the sort of the the around us like it was as if like a flare went off, like it was very bright, and it was it was like the full moon suddenly was out, and you kind of, we we all turned really quickly and we could see this really bright fireball going through the sky. And I, I think I heard a sound, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Sometimes you you can't hear sound. So anyway, it was just an absolutely stunning experience. And I, I the only way to see it, I guess, is spend more time outside. What did I see? Well, what what you saw was a small chunk of something. Could have been space degree. Could have been cometary degree. Could have been asteroid degre- debris. And as it passed through our atmosphere, um, a couple of different things happened. First of all, it got hot, and so that's a glowy thing. And in some cases where you see a lasting glowing tail behind your fireball, in that case, it has ionized a chunk of the atmosphere above 80 kilometers. So high up in the atmosphere, it's ionizing the particles it's passing through, leaving a bright glowy tail behind it. And sometimes... They, they get so critically hot and either vapor pressure builds up inside or something happens that causes this sudden tremendous burst of, of energy at the end where you see this flash of death light. And, and in that special case, you have a bolted fireball. Now, you you mentioned like a bunch of things that can cause it, right? It can be something from space, but it can also be debris that human beings have have put up into space. So so what is the sort of what is the underlying object? How big are we looking at when you see one of these things, you know, before it hits the atmosphere? Well, the really cool thing about stuff like this. So, so first of all, just some definitions. Anytime you have something streaking through the atmosphere that's a a shooting star a meteor call it what you will it's it's a small piece to a large piece of stuff 
Now, if that streak that you see going across the sky is several times brighter than Venus, then what you're looking at, and technically we say it's magnitude minus four visual or brighter, uh, in that case, you're looking at a fireball. And if that thing that you're looking at streaks across the sky and then explodes at the last second, uh, in that case, what you're looking at is a bullet. Now, it could be any kind of stuff, but what makes it that fireball is how much energy it's able to release. And this energy can come from two different things. You either have a fairly big object, and by big, I mean you might have a piece of gravel. How exciting. Um, or bigger. Or you could have something smaller, but with a huge velocity relative to our atmosphere. The, the thing that always surprises me is just how different the velocities of different things hitting our, our, our atmosphere can be because it's either something that's just like kind of sneaking up on the earth, not going that much of a different velocity than us, or it could be something where it has an orbit the opposite of the earth around the sun and a head-on collision occurs. So in some cases, it can be uh, 25,000 miles per hour uh, in other cases, it can be over a hundred thousand miles per hour. Uh, now, man, uh, one one of the situations where lots of questions are coming together all at the same time. Uh, so, so let's get back to the sort of the, the categorization because I think one of the big problems with this whole thing is that everything's got so many names. Yes, uh, it is like. Uh, a person for Vancouver Island's names for rain. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so when it's a big ball of rock out yes. in space, that is an asteroid. Yes. When it is a frozen body out in space that is more volatile than rock, it is a comet. And there are objects where people argue if it's a comet or a rock based on does it have a tail or not if you put it next to the sun. A comesteroid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an asteromet. Um <laughs> So, okay. So so those, that's when it's out in space. Now, if it's really yes. teeny tiny and it's moving very quickly, it is a meteoroid. If it's right? passing through... So, the yes. Windscreen a little the windscreen of the International thing. Space Station. So a little tiny thing that is a debris bit from an asteroid is a meteoroid. Yes. Okay, great. So, little guy, you know, pa- you're smashing into the the windscreen of the International Space Station, that's a meteoroid. Yes. Okay. When that little thing passes into the atmosphere, lights up and glows, that is a meteor. Yes. And when that thing reaches the ground, it is a meteorite. Yes. If that thing is very bright, more than four magnitude minus four Venus, then it is a fireball. Yes. If that fireball explodes, it is a bolide. Yes. But if it reaches the ground, we're back to a meteorite. Yes. If that thing smashes into the ground and explodes and kills all the dinosaurs... It is still a meteorite. Yes. 
Okay, we got our definitions down. Now, uh, now we talked about sizes, right? And that's something that I think people, you know, don't even realize, right? Is that is that meteors are they're the size of a piece of sand? Yeah, most of the time there are exceptions. We we do occasionally, for instance, there there was the discovery last week that King Tut had a dagger in his tomb that was made out of carved meteorite, which I find amazing. Which means that the meteorite that they used was at least dagger sized. So we do get larger meteorites striking the surface of the planet. We tend to go to places that uh, are constantly eroding the surface that allow them to pop out and be seen more easily when we want to collect them. So people go to Antarctica and in the summer when the top layer melts off of the ice, walk around the nice shiny surface, pick up the dark stuff. The dark stuff is generally meteorites. We also often can find uh, in the sand dunes where you have blowing sands and deserts. You can also find meteorites a little bit more easily than like walking through the woods. But the kind of incredible thing is there's like order of a thousand fireballs every single night on the planet earth or every single 24 hour period on the planet earth yeah it's terrifying how much of this stuff is actually raining down and how many of the of the even chelyabinsk scale explosions in the sky uh, there are some like one a year one every couple of years i mean it's pretty amazing how much how often these things are happening and the more detectors we build, the more security cameras we have pointed more up and down, the more we realize this stuff is constantly happening. We, we didn't notice it a lot in the past because two-thirds of the planet's surface is water. Human beings don't take up the whole surface of the planet yet. We, we have vast swaths of desert. We have vast swaths of woods that have low population. And for the most part, human beings try to sleep at night and aren't outside looking up. So it's really, really easy for all of these things to go entirely undetected. And so we're still learning how often uh, potentially hitting the surface of the planet things are hitting our atmosphere. Well, let's talk about uh, colors because, you know, part of the show with them is is the sort of bright color that you see and sometimes mm-hmm. like usually bright white, but you can get other colors. So, so you know, when that piece of space stuff impacts the atmosphere, what is actually going on to make it bright? And then I'd love to talk about why you get some of those colors from some of the bigger ones. So – Initially, if it's not that bright, if you're dealing just like with your standard meteor passing through the atmosphere, as it's passing through, you will perceive white. And this is because the parts of our eyes that can detect low light simply go light, no light, and our brain goes white, black, shades of gray. And occasionally our our brain will fill in colors that it knows, but that's not because we're detecting the colors. It's because our brain is smart. Now, as that meteor shooting through the sky becomes a brighter and brighter meteor, the light starts to be able to trigger the parts of our eye that detect color, the three different color-detecting cells, four if you happen to be tetrachromal. And so with these bright ones, we start perceiving color. And there's a lot of different people perceive different things. Uh, Colors of all kinds have been seen. And 
when it's true color, it's due totally to chemistry and occasionally simply our brain making stuff up. <laughs> right. Uh, you know what's funny? This is sort of like a – I'm going to sort of go down a rabbit hole for a second here, which is that uh, – you know, whenever there is a fireball that happens, especially I find I like to watch for them on Twitter and usually uh-huh. you'll get this yes. sort of cascade of messages being posted on Twitter when people are actually seeing them. And you will almost right away, someone will post a picture of, you know, someone will, you know, will post a fake picture of some of the nicest uh, fireballs that have ever been seen, but they were completely predicted because they were re-entering spacecraft that we knew were, were going to happen. And I always see the same kinds of pictures. And so I have to like go on to Twitter and go, that's fake, that's fake, that's fake. But um, uh, yeah, so like if you're lucky enough to know when some of these spacecraft are going to be returning to Earth and you're in the flight path you get a chance to watch it unless it's really large like Mir or when the International Space Station finally comes down you don't want to be anywhere near it uh, true but we do get a fairly good show with the Perseids in August the Leonids in November especially in the years right after the comets have refreshed their their trails and we're going through that nice fresh trail in this case it, it's icy volatile debris but some of it is big enough to cause these amazing fireballs and bullets like I saw back in 98 so there there is plenty of opportunity for there to be just regular old go out on an August summer night, wear all of your bug spray, all of it, then add some more, and set up a camera and you can catch these things. Oh, just, yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned a bit about the comets refreshing them. So can you go into a little more detail on this? I mean, is there fireball seasons in the way that we have meteor showers? So so what was kind of amazing was back at the beginning of the last century, there, there was actually one uh, meteor shower that was so amazingly prolific that, and it, it was when the Earth went through right after the tail of a comet went by. So like comet goes by, comet lights up the sky. Just a little bit later, Earth goes through that trail. And it was causing um, some reports of daytime observations. It, it was considered to actually be raining shooting stars. There's like pictures, yeah, like the, in the 60s, just these amazing pictures of just like it, yeah, hundreds of thousands of of meteors per hour, and I guess a ton of them would have been those those really bright ones. the The biggest one that I can remember was the two thousand and one Leonids. I think we've mentioned that a mm-hmm. few times in the past. Uh, you know, everyone said it was going to be a good meteor shower, and I went outside, and it absolutely was the most stunning meteor shower that I've ever seen. It was it was just it was amazing there was a meteor every couple of seconds just zip, zip. so so the the uh, meteor shower that i was just referring to it it the song that it inspired is the stars fell on alabama which was recorded in 1934 the uh, meteor shower itself occurred in the early 1800s in 1833 it was the leonid meteor shower and so it was considered the night the stars fell, and it led to this jazz standard being produced. So let's talk a bit about what your job is when you see a fireball in the sky. 
So, well, like first, of- obviously, tell everyone around you, whoa, do you see that? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And then, you know, if you happen to have your camera out and you're taking a long duration photograph, then by all means, you know, don't kick your camera over because you're going to get a really amazing picture. Once that's all done, though, you have a job. You've been deputized. It, it's true. So the American Meteorological Society actually collects data on this. So if you go to amsmeteors.org, they have a, a form, because there's always a form. They have a form that, that you can fill out to report seeing these fireballs. And, and so there are folks out there that well, first of all, how far was the meteor seen? Uh, what time was it seen in different locations? And this information, especially if you have a dash cam or some other thing that just happened to catch it and have a timestamp, security cameras are another way that we catch these things. It can allow us to track down, and by us, I mean folks like Jeff Notkin and the other meteor hunters out there. Uh, to go out and find these fresh samples from space. And there's actually a whole lot of science to be found in these rocks that had a rather terrible existence. All right, well, let's talk about the science then, because as you said, you know, sometimes they explode and actually survive and reach the ground. What goes into sort of finding them and and what's important there? So so we have two different situations that we're looking at. First of all, you have things like Chelyabinsk, where that sucker explodes before it hits the ground. That was one heck of a fireball and bullet. Now, in this case, you actually end up with shrapnel kind of scattered all about. And that shrapnel, each piece of shrapnel, is a chance to understand our early solar system a little bit better. Now even better than shrapnel is those times where you get a larger chunk that makes it all the way to the surface of the planet. Because those larger chunks have the potential to have pockets of volatiles inside of them, pockets of ice that turns to gas, uh, stuff that, well, gets at what is the ratio of different types of oxygen, what is the ratio of different types of carbon in this gas that was trapped when the rock formed back when our solar system formed, or even more excitedly, when that rock formed on Mars. What's the atmosphere on Mars? We sampled the atmosphere of Mars using rocks sent to us from Mars um, before we ever got a space probe there. Uh, there was one that landed in a lake in uh, in Alberta, I think, a couple of winters ago. And the Chelyabinsk one too, right? A big yes. chunks of it went into a lake, which was really lucky because then it's a little more preserved. In the the one in Alberta, it didn't go all the way through the ice, and so they were actually able to go out when the the you know shortly after it had fallen and dig up the ice and actually get these perfectly preserved uh, meteorites from the ground. Chelyabinsk, uh, we've got a piece of Chelyabinsk. Yes, thanks yes. to our, our good friend uh, Richard Drum, the astronomy bum, uh, which is kind of amazing. Yes, uh, I, I actually have. You got have. Your, have you got your, your Chelyabinsk meteorite yes, right there? Yes, I have it right here uh, embedded on a um, foamy that has a picture that was taken by one of the cameras just happened to get lucky and record the uh, impact explosion, bullet come fireball. Um, so, yeah, 
bad things happen if you hear and if you hear a uh not if you hear it's too late when you hear it if you see a fireball there there's two chances you'll hear it one is there's going to be a sonic boom which is what happened at chelyabinsk you don't want to be near glass when that sonic boom occurs and and there's another case of hearing it which i think is what you were talking about earlier now that time that you think you heard a fireball what did you experience it sounded a little like kind of crackling in this in the air a little bit of like pop crackle sound so so there's a lot of different reports of this, this kind of electronic noise and and it's always reported by people who are near metal so so there's this idea that we can't fully understand the physics. It's just something that gets reported a lot. And different people publish papers and what they think it might be. But I, as far as I can tell, we don't have a conclusive understanding of the entire process that, that leads to hearing it. But it's called an electrophonic sound. And it has something to do with um, the ionization, the charge buildup, creating a crackling that we can hear, sort of like you can sometimes hear St. Elmo's fire. Oh, that's really cool. Um, So if you want to increase your chances of getting a chance to see a fireball, I mean, not just a regular old meteor, but you want to see a fireball, what should you do? Look up. (laughs) Okay, well, that's the show, everybody. So so if you think about it, you're only going to see these if you're outside looking at the sky. I've seen... Other than that, that one time I saw the Leonids, I've seen a bunch of fireballs while I was out driving in wide open spaces. I live in the American Midwest. We do flat really well, which, which means we can see far out, great distances, lots of sky. And so driving, it gives me a large swath I can view. But I'm still not seeing the whole sky. I'm missing anything that that is above me or behind me. The best thing you can do is... Find yourself a great hammock and have it nice and taunt so that you're looking straight up. Go outside, stick a favorite podcast or audiobook in your ears, and just look at the stars for things that, well, move faster than planets. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that you get out of it what you put into it, that the more time you spend uh, out in in the nature, looking up and appreciating the wonder of the cosmos, the higher the chances you are of seeing a really bright fireball. And that, you know, one in, I don't know what the percentage is, let's say one-tenth of a of one percent of all the fireballs if you see whatever a thousand meteors you're going to see one fireball like it's just a numbers game so get out there and see don't live on the west coast of british columbia i think is good advice as well because all all we have is rain (laughs) every time i'm like i'm I'm gonna get a telescope no i don't need really much of a telescope i've got a good pair of binoculars and a small telescope but yeah so it's it's a really one of those cases of these things happen a thousand times a night but if you don't look up you're never going to see one and even if you go out during a meteor shower it it doesn't necessarily change your probabilities all that much for a lot of meteor showers because a lot of meteor showers are the less than magnitude for not quite as bright little just normal meteors shooting across the sky 
these really super bright bullets and super bright fireballs, those are there every night. You just need to go out and look. There you go. You can't see it if you don't get out in it. So that is really the lesson we've learned all the time. Is that if you just If you just stay inside, play your video games, you won't get a chance to see. Watch your TV. You won't get a chance to see the wonder of the cosmos that's unfolding around you all the time. Now, now one final thing before we go away is you don't actually have to have eyeballs to to perceive the fireballs. They just help. If you take a radio outside, not serious radio, but an actual honest-to-goodness FM radio, if you take a radio outside, tune it to the space between stations, that crackly, staticky, you'll sometimes hear significantly louder squeals and pops, and those are the audio versions of the fireballs as they streak through the sky and reflect back radio stations that are greatly Doppler shifted and other different things that generate this radio noise that allows us to get it perceiving these fireballs in a completely different light. Yeah, and we love to hear your reports. So, you know, on the comments on our videos and stuff, by all means, uh, jump in. And if you've had a chance to see a fireball in your life, you know, we'd love to read read about it. So, well, thank you so much, Pamela. And we'll talk to you next week. We're down to just a couple of shows before the hiatus. It's it's great. And uh, we're going to miss you, Preston. So for those <laughs> of you who don't know, I'm just going to put this into the actual show. Uh Preston Gibson, our audio producer who's been working with us for years and years and years, doing an amazing job, is going to retire from working on our show so he can work on his professional career and, well, get a few hours back in his life to, like, have a life. Um, We're really proud of him for everything he's accomplished, and he will be sorely missed. And we're really great, greatly proud to see what he's accomplished. So I'm going to shut up now. Thanks, Preston. What she said. All right. Thanks, Pamela. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy AstronomyCast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax-deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.